0: that we cannot keep the law by trying to keep the law to succeed in keeping the law, one must aim at something other and something more. One must aim at becoming the kind of person from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. The apple tree naturally and easily produces apples because of its inner nature. This is the most crucial thing to remember. If we would understand Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart given in the Sermon on the Mount.
1: Welcome to the Belfast Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Byler. This week, Daniel and I continue our discussion on Chapter Five. We get more into some of the content, specifically that Willard is talking about here with the first with the first real sets of let's say, rhetoric or exposition done by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The central question here is, how do you become the kind of person that fulfills the law? And in the beginning, I beg the question that I think we all need to think about very seriously is, do we think that Jesus is smart in talking about life? So if these things sound interesting to you, if this piques your curiosity, please stick around and listen. I think Where we're going here, you're going to find very fruitful and very helpful. I hope that. I pray that. And as always, we'll see you guys in the next one. All right. Well, welcome to the second episode on Chapter 5 of The Divine Conspiracy. And as we talked about in the previous episode, uh, framing Chapter 5 of of this book and then the sermon on the mount as Jesus gets into his discourse of you've heard it said but i say to you we're really trying to hit on Willard's main point which i just read the quote of just a, a minute ago about how it's not that we he's just he's it's not that he's just giving us new laws to replace the old ones it's that he's giving us A way to become a different kind of person and hopefully that's what we can help illuminate here uh as before we get on to that specifically i know i've mentioned it before but i think it's just worth saying again there is a little section here that he has let me find the exact page that i want to want to talk about Ah, okay. He has a little section here on the intelligence of Jesus. And I think this is important to hit at least one more time before we get into the meat and potatoes of the Sermon on the Mount. Willard says, if you play play a game of word association today in almost any setting, You will collect some familiar names around the words, such as smart, knowledgeable, intelligent, and so forth. Einstein, Bill Gates, and obligatory rocket scientist Elon Musk will stand out, but one person who pretty certainly will not come up in this conversation is Jesus. Here is a profoundly significant fact. Our culture among Christians and non-Christians alike, Jesus in our culture among non-Christians and Christians like Jesus Christ is automatically disassociated from brilliance or intellectual capacity. No one in a thousand will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with words such as well-informed, brilliant, or smart. Remember, we will learn his words from chapter two. We're willing to learn from almost anyone but him. Far far too often he is regarded as hardly conscious, he is looked on as a mere icon, a wraith-like semblance of of man, fit for the role of sacrificial lamb or alienated social critic, perhaps, but little more. A well-known scholarly picture has him wandering the hills of Palestine, deeply confused about who he was, and even about crucial points on his basic topic, the kingdom of the heavens. From time to time, he perhaps utters disconnected thought, profoundly and vaguely radically irrelevancies now obscurely perceived, preserved in our Gospels. And here's the question. Would
2: you be able to trust such a person with your life? Do you really think Jesus has
1: a way of speaking about life that you want to follow? Do you think he can speak of life in such a
2: way as to be smart and well-informed about it? I'll end with this. For all the vast
1: influences he has exercised in human history, we have to say that Jesus is usually seen as a frankly pathetic individual who lived and still lives on the margins of real life. What lies at the heart of the astonishing disregard of Jesus found in the moment-to-moment existence of multitudes
2: of professing Christians is a simple lack of respect for him. Jesus can save me. He can die on the cross. But I don't respect what he has to say about my day-to-day living. There's a simple lack of respect for him. He is not seriously considered or
1: presented. He's not seriously considered or presented. Think about how
2: we preach sermons about the words of Jesus. What then can devotion or worship mean if simple respect is not included? Not much.
1: So point being as i've said before and willard says again we must consider jesus smart and well informed and wise about how to conduct our lives if we are going to take serious what he says about our lives and so i think before we step into his diagnosis of what is going on in our hearts we have to wrestle with: Do we think Jesus is smart enough to diagnose
2: it correctly? Is he a good physician?
0: All right. So let's take Jesus' word seriously. Um, this the whole topic with Willard in this chapter is based around the section heading of this this next section. So um, that is the beyond of actual obedience. And in this section he's really starting to hit home this idea that we have to we have to go beyond what what we actually like the actions themselves and become something new. So um, I'll start at the top of the section and read the first few paragraphs. Uh, you have the page
2: oh sorry yes
1: no you're good i thought i was sharing already no you're good all right there we go
0: okay yeah so this way you guys should be able to read along um it says it is precisely jesus grasp of the structure in the human soul that also leads him to deal primarily with the sources of wrongdoing and not to focus on actions themselves so time out Jesus' wisdom, Jesus' knowledge, Jesus' intellectual prowess about the human condition, right? So what Luke was just talking about is crucial here. It's based on that, that Jesus is able to make such a fundamental diagnosis of the sources of wrongdoing and not focus on the actions themselves. So we're talking about the sources of wrongdoing. We're getting to the root of the issue, not treating the symptoms to continue the doctor analogy. He thus avoids the futility, which we have already pointed out on making law ultimate. Making law ultimate is futile because you're just trying to meet a standard.
2: Hmm.
0: And oftentimes you will fail. Wrong action he well knew is not the problem in human existence though it is constantly taken to be so, it is only a symptom, which from time to time produces vast evils in its own right. So Willard's not saying that the wrongs that we do in action are okay. He's saying addressing the actions themselves isn't enough. We have to do more. The next paragraph. Going to the source of action is a major part of what he has in mind by saying that one must go beyond the goodness of the scribes and the Pharisees. One must surpass humanly contrived religious respectability if one is to mesh their life with the, uh, with the flow of the kingdom of heaven. True enough, he has also meant that we are actually to do what the law as God intended it, said to do. So this doesn't mean that we get to do away with law, right? um, When we read the section from Matthew 5, Jesus wasn't saying, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say to you, if you are angry, you've committed murder in your heart, so you can murder or not abiding by the law is okay. What Jesus is saying is, Murder is caused by hate.
1: So if you don't hate, you won't murder.
0: So if you, don't, if you don't have the thing in your heart that usually causes you to do the other thing, the mm-hmm. action, if you treat the symptom first, the action will be taken care of naturally. You don't have to worry about not murdering because you won't hate people. Now, granted, there are other reasons that people murder as well. Those reasons typically come from a lack of trust in God, which is ultimately what this entire sermon is trying to build us towards, right? Peace thieves, as we've talked about in the past. But again, it's, it's about treating the symptom, not just, uh, I, I was going to keep reading. Oh, um, no, you're good. Um, it's about treating the symptom, not just the, the, the action itself. So true enough, he also meant that we should actually do what the law as God intended it said to do. And that too was quite beyond the goodness of the scribes and the Pharisees. They talk a lot of law, but they did not keep it. Thus, Jesus told his hearers to do what the religious authorities say, for they sit in Moses' seat, but be Mm -hmm. aware of doing what they do. They say and do not i'm going to skip the next paragraph and go down one more because i think this this uh this one right here is yeah you highlighted a lot <laughs> um normally my, my
1: function when i go and highlight especially in my because it's in my kindle yeah i'll just highlight like oh good paragraph because it's it's hard to highlight just sentences as well or no as well.
0: i agree i mean i for this i had like a whole cut out sliced into yeah. the with my marker um, with a star by it because it's really this is a really good point for us today
1: okay read that first paragraph and i'll read the second paragraph because i think it's okay it's a great uh, it's yeah. it's interesting
0: yeah the tragic result of this separation between works and actually being righteous is seen all around us today We are looking at the contemporary Western world. Uh, what What we are looking at in the contemporary Western world, apologies, is precisely what he himself foretold. We have heard for almost two millennia, we have heard him as already noted, but we have chosen to not do what he said. He warned that this would make us like a silly man who built his house on a sand foundation. The rain poured down and the rivers and winds beat upon the house and it collapsed into total disaster. We today stand in the midst of precisely the the disaster he foretold, flying upside down, but satisfied to be stoutly preaching against works righteousness. Hmm. we so, so much want to preach against works righteousness that we actually stop working for the kingdom of heaven. And that is shameful. If
1: my microphone would work. Okay. That's what he points out in this next paragraph here. If people in our Christian fellowships today were to announce that they decided to keep God's law, would probably be spe- be skeptical and alarmed. Just imagine it. I don't know how your church operates, but at times, churches I've gone to, uh, the pastor will have, say, they're doing a sermon series or a sermon on family. And they have a couple from the church, uh, you know, a devout couple at, to do like a Q and a, or to give some examples of how things said during the series or, uh, you know, setting up what is going to be talked about have impacted their lives or how they operate as parents. What if that family said, you know what we do in our, in our household, we encourage each other and we encourage our
2: children to keep God's law. What would be the response of the pastor?
0: The following Sunday would be a sermon about um, how we don't need to fall into the temptation of works righteousness. With potentially some passive-aggressive introductory notes about how, you know, maybe some people in the congregation really need to hear this because they,
2: you know...
1: But yeah, probably no mention will be given to the verse on training a child in the way he should go and yeah, he will not depart. But anyway. Uh, well, it goes on. We probably would take them aside for counseling and possibly alert one response, other responsible people in the group to keep an eye on them. We would be sure nothing good would come of it. We know that no one is not we know that no one is not saved by keeping the law and can think of no other reason why one should try to do it. So, if you can't be saved by it, there's no, there's why, why, why would you waste your time? What's the point? I think that's what Jesus is getting at. You have heard it said. that you'll be saved by grace alone into a new life in Jesus. But I tell you, if that grace does not affect you in your everyday experience, how great is that grace really to you?
0: Yep. That's a problem that's a big problem this is, what I think. Bon,
1: this is what bonhoeffer called cheap grace now i have mm-hmm. my own problems with that phrasing as yeah. as willard has talked about but uh yeah we've talked about faith and works a little bit here on yeah. this podcast but to i think that's part of our problem
0: mm-hmm um yeah. well and we highlight this quote to, to bring this conversation into the larger fold of what we're doing right because we had a whole conversation about works righteousness mm-hmm. um and i think the bad ways that we reframe it so insert that here right um we don't need to get off on that tangent but that is just to say this we think is the solution to the works righteousness problem yes right this is what we think the solution is so uh luke do you want to pull up the old righteousness versus new righteousness chart and um you can talk a little bit about that i believe it was page 164 um in the text so with this um willard goes into defining the word dikaiosune in is a greek word uh, for righteousness mm-hmm. or justice actually it can mean both things we separate them in english in greek they were the same um and then as a whole. Because to
1: act justly is to be righteous. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and in our culture, I think it's funny that we've separated those two. One is taken more as like a spiritual, virtuous kind of thing. And one is taken more in the like legal, sociopolitical sense. Um, and it might be good to have those separations. But I think the point that Willard is making and the point that Jesus is making is that if you're the right kind of person, those two things are the exact same. So um, go ahead, you can go ahead and say what you want to say here.
1: So I just you can look at it here if you if you don't have the book on hand, but I just wanted to point out I like this chart because he talks about how Jesus is, as I said earlier, upping the ante. He is he's not giving new laws. He's diagnosing the deeper
2: problem. And then he's giving us prescriptions
1: about what kind of ways we can act to then bear the good fruit that would result in a life that would not even get close to these kinds of things. So in the first one, there's no murder in the old righteousness, but in Jesus' righteousness, there's an intense desire to be of help you have no anger or contempt towards those you do help or don't end up being able to help. The second, the sexual attraction. The old law was just don't have sex. The new kingdom law is don't cultivate lust in your heart. Because that is the thing that leads to that desire being played out. Third one is, if you're unhappy in your marriage, well, you can give her a slip for divorce. (laughs) And then Jesus says, just don't get divorced. Which he gives his own caveat, and I would give my own as well, but we have to remember that in this day and age, it's actually much easier to get divorced than it is now, (laughs) at least in the West. Yeah, but it was also
0: primarily one sided. Right. Um,
1: And so you actually, this can also be, this is part of Jesus's like ministry towards women, because he is doing this not only to preserve the marriage as a function of the relationship between God and his covenant people, but to ensure that everyone gets cared for. And that the promises that are made in a marriage are kept. And that women aren't just tossed aside and done away with because they're inconvenient to you at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that passage specifically is about, so we've turned it in the modern Right. And think about this.
1: And think about this. Sorry, just to go with his, there's a reason these things fall in the order they do. All right. So anger, contempt. Lust sexual attraction. What happens when you're angry and contemptible towards your partner and you're lustful towards somebody else? You're unhappy in your marriage. Well, you commit adultery. There's right for divorce. What if we don't want divorce? What if we don't even want divor- divorce to occur for right reason? Well, then you fix the fact that you're contemptible and angry and you're lustful towards everyone who isn't your spouse because you find them contemptible and not in the way of the green book, but actually acting in a contemptible manner, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And then vows. I mean, yeah. all right, right so what are we doing about this marriage thing? If we can just do away with it real quick, what do our vows even mean? What if you make your promise on this and on that? Well, obviously it doesn't mean a lot because you just give her a slip for, Ah, fine, I don't want to be with you.
0: Well, and then I can manipulate the words that I said and promise in order to get something from you or protect myself from the responsibility of having to live up to what I said I was going to do.
1: And then if we're honest with what we say, if we're not full of anger or contempt or lust, then those who are against us, we will be more likely to desire to reconcile, to make good even those who want to take us to court, to not want to just inflict the same injury because my anger desires revenge. And only then, only once all of these things are cultivated in my heart, am I able to actually love my
2: enemies. And pray for those who persecute. And, and I just so want you to point- be. You,
1: the, sorry. No. So you, you want to be how, how it ended. So you want to be someone who does what Jesus says and love your enemies, which is really hard to do these days because everyone's your enemy, apparently.
2: Then you got to do all these other things. Otherwise, you can't. If you don't deal with your anger, if you don't deal with your contempt, if you
1: don't have your lust under control, if you'll just do away with relationships because the, 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 the vow was not as important, if you have to say, let me be honest with you, oh, I promise, if you got to say that to the people you love, then how do you act, how do you treat the people you don't, right, which is Jesus' exact words. mm mm-hmm. So you want to be a faithful Jonah? You want to be someone who loves your enemies? Then you got to be all these other things too. Otherwise, it is impossible for
2: you to do that. It is impossible. So there's a reason Jesus says what
1: he says in the order he says it.
0: Yep. And let us I'm going to zoom in on one real quick just to talk yeah. about the way in which we, we distort it now. And thus miss the entire flow of everything, the divorce thing. Yeah, we've made this in a lot of really conservative Christian circles about sexual purity.
1: Right, right,
0: right. Oh, you've been with one person, therefore that's you. You have in order to that's remain. That's what holds pure, you together. Yes, and in in order to remain sexually pure you you can't be married to anyone else ever and and divorce right. breaks this like sexually pure thing and what that does is it it makes it about some kind of as we're going to get into next time ritual purity over moral purity mm. and then it It completely distorts how the dominoes fall and you can't love your enemies. And if you can't love your enemies, then sometimes it's also very hard to love the people who you're supposed to love, like your friends or your spouse. And therefore, you end up in this vicious cycle where all of these things are happening to you and you are doing all of them because you thought you had to be ritually pure and could not be morally pure. Mm. And that's why, be it Matthew, be it Jesus, you have to read this as a sermon. Because if you don't, you'll miss the whole point. You here's will not cha- be transformed.
1: Go. Exactly. Go. Here's a challenge. I know you used to be a youth pastor. Yeah. You, can, you can talk about this for a second. I didn't plan to go so long on this, but let's do it. Yeah, All right. Um, here's a challenge as I was giving my little rant there preaching to myself as much as you all listening. Um, and that is a very real statement. Um, probably youth pastors who do your February series. You got time to plan it now December. (laughs) Well, probably won't be December when this comes out, probably be February when this comes out (laughs) (laughs) maybe for next year for next year. That tells you how long the delay is guys. I, I still got like, 10 15 episodes put out all right um here's my thing you're gonna have your february series for all your young adult students on relationships and lust and being pure why don't you start with anger
2: contempt And then you can move
1: on to lust and the nature of our relationships, our vows to one another, our words of agreement or disagreement. Because that's how all the series end to me, what I've been a part of is, and here's why you need to be aware of how you deal with these things, because one day you're going to likely get married. And we need to take it seriously.
2: Why don't you start with where Jesus starts? Hey, there's a
1: new way to live. And you're blessed because you're in the kingdom. And you can be blessed and enter the kingdom. And if you're going to be the kind of person that lives a righteous life, that is full of diakusune, Then you better start. Because. Good luck controlling your lost If you can't control your anger. Good luck. And if you can't control yourself. You to be contemptible with your friends. Or your family.
2: Good luck not having sex with your girlfriend. Good luck. What do you think of that
1: proposal?
0: Yeah, no, no, I think it's then we actually treat all of these moral symptoms like Jesus treated them, right?
1: Because, sorry, but I honestly, and I'm, I deal with this myself, and I'm not here to just harp on purity culture or whatever, but I seriously think that there's a lot of things that are talked about in this way, whereas... I got a distorted view of women in in a certain sense because I only looked at them, not only, but like a primary lens through which I viewed them was like, am I lusting after them or not? That was the question. Mm -hmm. The question wasn't, how do I treat them? Like, how do I treat them? Well, not just in terms of that, but in terms of how do I not be angry towards them? How do I have good relationship with them? How do I not harbor other emotions about them that aren't lust? Yeah. Because it's just self-control in another sense. Your anger, your 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 contempt. You do the relationship thing that way and that fixes much other much of the other things. So Yeah. Any thoughts on that?
0: No, no. And I think for sake of time, we should probably um, move to the next one. But I think that is is really, really true and really accurate. Um, And so to wrap this into the larger conversation and segue into this next bit, it's about being the right kind of person, which is something we've been hitting a lot. And we're about to hit two sections in Willard where he explicitly highlights this. Um, And these, I think, are really important. So this next one's um, on page 204. Are these things hard to do? Uh, It's the beginning two paragraphs in the section. Hang on, let me get there. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, So just a little bit of what he's going to talk about is, um, well, are these things hard to do? We we see fulfilling the law as something that's really difficult to do. And the point he's going to make is, Of course it's difficult if you're not the right kind of person. And so if you are transformed, if you work towards becoming the right kind of person, it's no longer a performance when you are fulfilling the law. It's genuinely who you are. So, yeah, that, that's what he's going to get into. Have you um, managed to find it? No, I got it. Okay. Yeah, it's towards the end of it. So um, go ahead. Are you okay so yeah, are yeah, you yeah. reading this here? Uh, yes. Down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll that section and then the, the paragraph after. Is it then hard to do the things in which Jesus illustrates the kingdom heart of love? Or the things that Paul says love does in first Corinthians 13? It is very hard, indeed, if you have not been substantially transformed in the depths of your being, in the intricacies of your thoughts, feelings, assurances, and dispositions, in such a way that you are permeated with love. Once that happens, then it is not hard. Hmm. We would be hard, uh, what would be hard is to act that way, uh, act the way you acted before. So. Once you're transformed, and I think that's a process, usually called sanctification. Once you're transformed, it becomes hard to not naturally do the things that Jesus asks of us. It doesn't flip on like a light switch. Okay? You have to grow in it. But genuinely being the kind of person who does these things is important, is something that we should do, and is something the church has neglected to teach us. So, of course, loving your enemy is, Luke, your point earlier, loving your enemy is impossible if you're starting at the beginning of the transformation, but you have to work your way through the steps. Mm. When Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, "Father, forgive them because they do not understand what they are doing," that was not hard for him. Hmm. What would have been hard is for for him would have been to curse his enemies and spew forth vileness and evil upon everyone, God and the world, as those crucified him, uh, crucified with him did at least for a while. He calls us to him to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did, but to be what he was permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. So my question is, are you that? And what do you need to do if you are not that to become that? That is crucial. That is crucial. So um, I want to read one more thing from page 160 at the top. It's the section, um, the deeper beyond from which actions come, but it's, kind of towards the end of the section. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, right Right there. Um, so I'm gonna start right after um, the John six. So he knew that we cannot keep the law by trying to keep the law. To succeed in keeping the law, One must aim at something other and something more. One must aim at becoming the kind of person from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. The apple tree naturally and easily produces apples because of its inner nature. This is the most crucial thing to remember if we would understand Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart given in the Sermon on the Mount. Do, are you the kind of person in whom the law is naturally fulfilled? And if not, what can you do to become that person? That's what Jesus is asking. That's what Jesus is begging us to do. And that's what I hope we can do as a church community moving forward.
1: To end, I'll give a... I'll give a challenge that my pastor gave me that I have not been fulfilling well, but it is one that hits on many of these themes. Pray the Lord's Prayer every
2: day. As many times a day as you feel necessary, but at least once a day. And see what happens. See if it starts talking back to
1: you.